This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Rob Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment. And this is episode number 33, and I'm calling this episode Guilt and Peace. Now, in this episode, I have a great book to give away called Real Peace, Real Answers. And this book offers words of help and hope to anybody who is seeking to understand how to have an experience with God. This is also a great aid for today's topic, guilt and peace. So, to get this book, you're going to need to text the code word that comes during the show. You'll need to text that code word to the Faith Experiment number 0488845311. So, save that number into your phone. Here it is once again, 0488845311. So, save that in your phone and wait for today's code word. Well, I love hearing from you on The Faith Experiment, and I would love to hear from you once again today. Where are you listening to the show from right now? I have a big shout-out to Lyndon, who tunes in from Bribey Island, from Margie, who listens from Brisbane, and Jason, who's tuning in from Hobart. Great to have you guys listening to the show. And I'd love to hear from the rest of you. You can let me know where you're listening to the show from by texting me on 0488-45311 or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. Now, if you are joining for the first time, this show, The Faith Experiment, is about putting faith into practice. It's about experimenting with faith. And so far on the show, I have shared with you my personal journey of how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. And we finished looking at a sort of a mini-series. It was about, I think, about 10 topics or 15 topics. I forget how many topics it was now. But we looked at how to enhance your study of these ancient manuscripts and how to get the most out of your faith experiment. And now we've started kind of a little new series here in the Faith Experiment. And this is based on your feedback and your questions. So on today's episode, I'm continuing this series based on answering your questions. I've been asking you for questions since this show began, and I have been getting so many of them that I decided to answer them as a series. I have questions like, is there life after death? Where is hell? What happens to babies when they die? What about people who are cremated? Do they get raised up at the second coming? Why does God call Jesus his son? Is there a connection between COVID and the end of the world? How can I be born again? How does Jesus die on the cross save me? Why do I need to confess my sins to Jesus when he already knows what I've done? I've been saved. Can I be lost? When will Jesus return? Is America in Bible prophecy? Is the secret rapture in the Bible? And a whole bunch of other questions which I am going to have great satisfaction in going through each and every one of them on the show sharing with you what these ancient manuscripts teach. Now, if you have a question you want to add to the mix, you can text it in to me on the Faith Experiment number 0488845311, or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au. So, over the next few episodes, I'm continuing taking your questions, as many as I can, and I'm digging into these ancient Hebrew and Greek manuscripts to find the answers. Now, so far... We have looked at a question from Eva, and that sort of set the tone for this whole little sort of mini-series, because Eva asked, how can you be sure that the Bible is actually trustworthy? And so we spent some time on our first sort of Q&A episode looking at the evidence. This is a 
evidence-based show after all. We're looking at the evidence from various viewpoints, from prophecy, from science, archaeology, history, mathematics, and personal impact. And what we've found is, is that whatever viewpoint you take, the Bible provides evidence that this is in fact a supernatural book and it's well worth our time to experiment with. And so then on the next episode, we looked at a bunch of questions around prophecy. And we looked at Rosa's question who asked, do I miss out on anything if I don't study prophecy as a Christian? And we found that one third of the Bible is prophecy. And so if God has gone to the effort of giving us so much prophecy, if we neglect it, we probably are missing out on something. We also looked at a bunch of questions about the signs of the times. We looked at the connection between COVID-19 and the end of the world. And then on the last episode, I looked at a bunch of questions around the rapture. And we saw what the rapture is from the Bible. And we found that it will be a literal, visible, audible, and global event. And the whole point of the rapture, according to the ancient manuscripts, or the second coming, I guess you could call it, is for God to reunite with his people face to face. So at the rapture or the second coming, the dead who have their hope in Jesus are raised first in the first resurrection, and then the living who have their hope in Jesus, they join the resurrected, and both groups ascend up into the air to meet Jesus who is waiting in the clouds. Now, while this rapture, is taking place, the wicked, or the lost, whatever you want to term you want to apply to them, who are on the earth, they see this happening, and they are calling out for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. You know, that's going to be a, such an amazing scene. I mean, yeah, it gives you shivers just thinking about it. And then we looked at a bunch of other questions around the secret rapture. And I share with you the history of that teaching and how we saw that it originated in Glasgow, in Scotland, in the 1920s, with a young girl having a dream about what is now known as the Secret Rapture. And that dream was taken to the United States, and it was embraced by the Moody Institute and the Dallas Theological Institute. And ultimately, we saw how that the Secret Rapture, as a teaching, is not biblical. And so, in this faith experiment, we're testing these teachings by what the Bible actually says. And we hold on or throw it out, the teachings, based on what the Bible teaches. Because in the faith experiment, we're basing our beliefs on the facts, not our feelings. Because as I always say, facts don't care about your feelings. So if you have missed any of these previous episodes and you want to catch up on some details, because I'm really just summarizing it, you've really got to check out the details if you missed it. You can get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au. Look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. You can also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it easy for you to keep up to date with The Faith Experiment. So, on today's episode, I'm going to be answering a number of different questions I have been asked about guilt and peace. Questions like Brad's, who asks, How does Jesus dying on the cross save me? And I have a question from Naomi, who asks, Why do people say that Jesus saves? Saves from what? And why is it such a big deal? And I have a bunch of other questions around this very theme. So, stick around. 
Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when I come back, I'm going to jump right into the questions about guilt and peace. And coming up is the co for today's show, so stick around. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888-45311. That's 04888-45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. Touch the sky 
This is The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 33 of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode Guilt and Peace. And coming up is the code word for today's free offer. So make sure you stick around. So on this episode, I'm looking at your questions that I have been asked about what I'm calling guilt and peace. And once again, I have some fantastic questions, really, really good questions. So let's get straight into it. My first question comes from Naomi, who writes, Hey, Robbie, love the show. It really makes me think, hey, why do Christians always say Jesus saves? I know this may be a dumb question, but saves from what? And why is that such a big deal? Naomi. Great question, Naomi. Thank you so much for this question. You know, I actually used to have this exact same question before I became a faith experimenter. You see, I was living in Brisbane and I used to drive along the motorway there and every single day there was this one particular spot where there was a billboard and on that billboard, every day as I went to work, the billboard said, Jesus saves. That's it. That's all it said, just Jesus saves. And I used to ask myself, now I was a non-believer, I was not a follower of religion, and I used to ask myself, saves from what? Well, look, as a now sort of a seasoned faith experimenter, I guess you could say, the short answer is, Jesus saves us from death. That's the short answer. But the long answer is, he saves us from sin. Now, here's the thing. Until we know what sin is and how that we've all sinned, we'll never understand why we need a Savior. You see, nobody cares about lifeguards until they need one. And I find that people who are not faith experimenters, they will often say to me, Robbie, I don't need your Jesus because I don't need saving. And I always say back to them, well, of course, why would you need a savior if you aren't in any trouble? And most times people are a little bit shocked with that because they're kind of expecting me as a believer, as a faith experimenter, to argue my case with them. But of course, I can't leave them with that. So I ask them a question. I ask this question. Have you ever felt distressed? Have you ever felt helpless or felt ashamed, felt hurt, offended, troubled, angry, unloved, abused, depressed, wronged, grieved, used, guilty, lonely, empty, broken, shamed, or compromised? Well, you see, all of these feelings, they're telling us that something is wrong, that something's missing. And, you know, we try and fill this spot deep down inside of us where we sense there is some kind of issue, some kind of problem. We try and fill it or we try and find a distraction. We try and run away from it. We try and mask it because we don't understand where these feelings are coming from and we don't know what the solution is. And so we do anything and everything to help. And most often or not, 
we don't see any improvement. So we go harder, maybe more drinking, harder drugs, more bed partners, more extreme sports, faster cars, taking stronger medication, or maybe we try to go on a holiday, drink more coffee. Whatever it is, it doesn't normally fix the problem. It might suppress it for a season, but it's always coming back. Because you see, we don't know what the real issue is because we haven't been diagnosed and we try to treat symptoms and not the root cause. You see, the real issue is sin. The real issue in every single human being's life is the issue of sin. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, are you saying, Robbie, that my agitation is because of sin? Yep, that's what I'm saying. Are you saying my guilt is because of my sin? Yep, that's what I'm saying. Are you saying I feel depressed because of my sin? Quite possibly, yes. Are you saying that I'm not happy because of my sin? Again, quite possibly, yes. You see, just about all of our negative emotions stem from sin. Maybe it's our own sin or maybe it's the sin of somebody else that they've committed towards us. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned. See, we think that we're good people. I used to think that I was a good person, but that's only because we're comparing ourselves to other people. But when we compare ourselves to God, we're not good at all. In fact, the Bible says that there is none that are good, no, not one. In the New Testament book of Romans, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, the fruit of sin is guilt. We have guilt, which leads to no peace. You see, the Bible says that we are all guilty before God. In Romans 3.19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says it to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. Now, what this text is teaching is that because of our sin, we are guilty before God. But look, some some might say, okay, so Jesus saves from sin. But so what? Why do I need to be saved from sin? I like sin. Sin feels good. Why would I want to be saved from sin? Well, you see, the Bible says that the problem with sin is, is that it results in death. In the same book, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And this word wages, it means this is what we deserve. In the same way that when you do a day's work, you deserve your wage. When we sin, we also deserve a wage, and the wage is death. Now, why is death the result of sin? Well, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew manuscript of Isaiah in chapter 59, and in verse 2, well, verse 1 and 2, This is what we're told. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. So that means that he can save. And he says, His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquity, that's a fancy word for sin, but your sins have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So we are told that it is our sin, our iniquity, that has separated us from God. And God is the source of life. 
No matter how hard you try, you cannot create life. You can only take what God has placed potential for life and create the right environment for God to bring life. For example, if you take a seed, you might find a great sunny location. You can prepare the soil, get the right pH level, and you can take the seed and you can plant that seed. You can water it every day, but you can't create life from that seed. All you can do is create the right environment and connect with the potential of the life that God has put in the seed. Even kids are another example. You can try and create a baby all you want, but if God does not bring the life into existence, you won't have a baby. That's why we have whole industries built around trying to artificially create a better environment to bring forth life for those who can't have kids. And so what the Bible says is that it is our sin, it's our action that results in separation from God, who is life, And that leads to death. So Jesus comes to save us from death so that we can live with God eternally. But the only way he can do that is to solve the sin problem because sin separates us from God. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. So, Naomi, what does Jesus save us from? He saves us from sin. And why is that a big deal? Because sin results in death. And I'm talking about eternal death, eternal separation from God. Now, I have a bunch of questions about death, and I'm going to take an entire episode focusing just on those questions about death. So stay tuned for that upcoming episode. So, Naomi, Jesus saves us from death because he saves us from our sins. And believe me, that is a big deal. And my next question comes from Russell, who asks, Hi, Robbie. Why do I need to pray and tell Jesus all the things I've done wrong? Doesn't he already know if he's God? Hey, great question, Russell. And believe it or not, this is not the first time I've received this question. It's really simple question to answer. You ready? Because you have done something wrong. Let me put it this way. If you hurt somebody, if you tripped them over, let's say, or let's say you, you lied to them or you stole something from them, And they know that you did it. You know that you did it. The question is, are you sorry that you did it? Do you want forgiveness for what you did? Well, it's the same thing with God. You have wronged him. You've hurt him. Do you feel sorry? Do you want forgiveness? Then tell him. Ask for forgiveness. Yes, God is God and he knows everything. But just like any other relationship, we require communication. It's really that simple, Russell. It's not complicated. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'm going to continue looking at these questions about guilt and peace. And coming up is the code word for today's book, Real Peace, Real Answers. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate.
Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 33 of the Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode Guilt and Peace. And coming up is the code word for today's free offer, so stick around. Now, on today's show, I'm answering your questions about guilt and peace. And before the break, I looked at two questions. Naomi's question, which was about what does Jesus save us from? And I looked at Russell's question, which was, why do I have to tell Jesus what I've done wrong? Now, if you missed my answers to those two questions or any of the other questions I've answered on The Faith Experiment, you can catch up on the Faith FM app or the Faith FM website. Just check out the podcast section and look for The Faith Experiment. Okay, my next question comes from Brad, who asks, Hi, Robbie. Thanks for doing shows based on our questions. Here's mine. My question is, How does Jesus dying on the cross save me? Brad. Excellent question, Brad. Thanks for sending it in. And I'm glad you're enjoying this little series of shows based on questions. I'm, I'm loving doing this, these episodes. It's so much fun because every one of the answers that I'm sharing with you, they're coming from ancient manuscripts, but they still have relevance for our lives today. Okay. So back to your question, Brad. Why did Jesus dying on the cross save me? Well, let's start by reading how Jesus dying on the cross does, in fact, save us. I think most people know this passage, but I want you to think about this passage a little bit deeper. John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's unpack this a little bit. This passage begins by saying, For God so loved us. That's the first point. This whole death thing, this whole substitution thing, this whole salvation thing that Jesus is doing is because 
God loves us. It's not because he's trying to hit you with a bolt of lightning and trying to send you to some eternal place of torment. This whole salvation thing, this whole cross thing is because God loves us. That's the motivation. And you can feel that because of this love, something is about to take place in the passage. And what it says next is, is that because of this love, he gave his son. Now, this little word gave, it's funny how many of us, when we read this, we don't really think about this word. What does it mean when God says he gave his only son? Now, I've asked this question to many, many people in different parts of the world, and I always almost get the same response. Most people are tempted to think that when he gave his son, it means that he gave his son to die on the cross for my sins. But then think about this. If that's what this is talking about, then the fact that Jesus raised up from the dead and went back to heaven, it kind of doesn't really sit that well. Because it's kind of like a bit of an act. I mean, what was the gift? Jesus came. He Okay, fair enough. He died. And I wouldn't want to do his death thing for sure, right? None of us would. But at the end of the day, in the grand scheme of things, the death thing didn't really stick. He resurrected and he's back in heaven. So it kind of feels like a bit of a role play in a drama. But you see, the problem with this is, is if that is the giving, as in Jesus came, died, resurrected, and went back to heaven. If that was the giving, God kind of didn't actually give anything. Okay, so he gave his son, sure. But guess what? After three days, his son was back to life. And then after 40 days, his son was back in heaven with him. So what's the big deal, right? Well, you see, the big deal is, is that Jesus, when he returned back to heaven 40 days after the resurrection, he didn't return the same way that he was given when God gave him. You see, Let me ask you a question. Based on these manuscripts, the Bible, what impression do you get as to the size of God? If you could quantify the the dimensions of God, how big is he? Well, if you're like any of us, you would say, well, you can't measure him. And even King David in the book of Psalms says, there's nothing that can contain God. So we come up with this term in our finite little brains. We say that God is infinite. He's, there's no limit to God. He's infinite. And this is why these ancient manuscripts describe him as being all-knowing. Because if he's infinite, he knows everything because he's everywhere at the same time. He can see you. He can see me at the same time. He's infinite. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's, he's all-everything. The list just goes on and on and on. Okay, so bear with me here. Jesus is God. He was God. He is God. And he will forever be God. In fact, that's what the opening passage of the Gospel of John says, is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So, Jesus is God. He's with God. He is God. It's God. It's one and the same. So, Jesus as God is everywhere because God is everywhere. And as being everywhere, he's also all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all those things, right? But the Bible says, when God gave his son to this plan, this great plan of salvation, guess what? He can't be everywhere at once. He can't be all-knowing. He can't be all-powerful in a way that he was before. You know, in a kind of a weird way, it's kind of like Jesus had his wings clipped. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it's kind of that idea. He Put it this way, Jesus was willingly handicapped. 
The Apostle Paul paints this picture in the Greek New Testament letter called Philippians. He says in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? Referring to Jesus. Being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, which basically means that God and Jesus are the same. They have the same status, the same standing. But then it says, but... Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in the likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So you see, Jesus is described as being equal with God, but God had to give up his God stuff in order to be fashioned in the likeness of a man. God willingly became trapped inside a human frame, a physical form. And you know what is one of the biggest differences between being a spiritual being, which is what the Bible says God is, and becoming a physical being like we are? You can't be everywhere at the same time. You can't know all things. And this is why Jesus says things like, I can do nothing but through the Father. You see, Jesus can do all the God stuff, but he's totally dependent on the Father for the God power. So in the person of Jesus, we see one of us in human form, bound by human limits, but completely connected to God, his Father, our Father. And as a connected person to God, he is able to do all the things, have all the authority, have all the power. Now, we're looking at Brad's question, how does the Jesus die on the cross save me? Well, after the whole cross thing, guess what? Jesus was resurrected. But guess what? He still had his human form. He was still in his handicapped state. As in, he still can't be everywhere at the same time. And he can't know all things at once. This is why Jesus said to his followers, It's good for you that I go because then the Father can send you the Holy Spirit. And why is it better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus here? Well, what's the one thing that God, who is the Spirit, can do that God, who is the Son, who's now the 3D physical frame person, Jesus, can't do? The Holy Spirit is everywhere with everyone all the time. So when God gave Jesus... The giving was permanent. See, God is now out of pocket, so to speak, for all eternity. Jesus is never going back to how he was before he came. That was the sacrifice. That was the gift that forever and for all eternity, God is forever one of us. He's connected to the human family forever. So that is what he did for us. Now the question, your question is, How does this sacrifice of God becoming human, how does that sacrifice save us? Well, one way to understand the meaning of the death of Jesus and how it saves us is to imagine sort of a courtroom scene in which you're on trial for your sins and God is the judge. Our sins are against God and these sins have a capital punishment attached to them. God himself is our judge, and according to divine law, our crimes deserve the death penalty. Death in the spiritual sense, meaning eternal separation from God. But by Jesus being given and giving his life and taking the punishment that we deserve, he offers us his righteousness. And when we trust in Jesus for our salvation, 
Essentially, we are making a trade. By faith, we're trading our sin and its penalty that's attached to it for his righteousness and his life. So, like in technical theological terms, we call this the atonement, where Christ died on the cross as our substitute. Without him, we would suffer the death penalty for our own sins. There's a few verses that make this really clear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, And God made him who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, some people object to this idea that shedding of blood seems so barbaric. Is it really necessary? Why doesn't God just simply forgive us? Well, because God's holy, and God's a righteous judge. And we're not the only creations in his in his universe. And think about it this way. Would a just and righteous judge let evil go unpunished? Of course not. At the cross, God poured out his judgment on his son, which satisfies the price that our sin demands. And that's why Jesus dying for our sins, becoming human, becoming one with the human family and one with the family of God, it brings salvation. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, we have an assurance from God. He says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake. Because of what Jesus has done, we have favor with God. I want to ask you a question. Wherever you're listening to me from today, have you placed your trust in Jesus as the substitute for your sin? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? in order to give you eternal life and that he rose from the dead victorious over sin. If you haven't placed your trust in him yet, I would encourage you to put this to the test. Experiment with it. Ask Jesus into your life as your savior right now. You you can do it by praying a simple prayer. You can say, Lord, I am a sinner, and I believe what these ancient manuscripts teach. I believe that you died for me, you died for my sins, and you rose again. And I trust you as my Savior, that you've not only forgiven my sins, but you can transform me into the kind of person you designed me to be. You can simply ask and pray that to God right now. Pray that to Jesus right now and you can experience, you can start to experiment with this whole faith thing. So Brad and anybody else out there listening, if you haven't, if you haven't accepted this great gift, this gift to take your place, this gift to pay the price for your sins, if you haven't done it yet, I want to encourage you, do it today and start experimenting in this great faith experiment. Well, it's time to take a short break now, but when I come back, I'm going to continue going through these questions on this topic of guilt and peace. And coming up is the code word for today's giveaway. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Jesus, 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 there's just something about 
that name Master Savior Jesus like the fragrance after Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 33 of the show, and I'm calling this episode Guilt and Peace. And coming up shortly is the co-web for today's great free offer. It's a wonderful book. It is an excellent book called Real Peace, Real Answers. I have this book. I love this book, and you are going to want to get this book, so stick around for the code word on today's show. I am answering your questions about guilt and peace. And before the break, we've looked at Naomi's question, which was, what does Jesus save us from? What's the big deal about it? We looked at Brad's question, which is, how does Jesus dying on the cross save me? And up next, I have two similar questions. So let's take a look at them, and I'm going to answer them together. The first question comes from Christopher, who writes, I am a sinner. I tell God that I will totally surrender to him. And I won't make him sad anymore by my thoughts and actions. But God seems silent yet again. Why? Christopher. And the second question comes from James who asks, Hi Robbie, I am such a sinner. No matter how hard I try, I keep sinning. I feel like a useless human being. I mean, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I just feel lost. How do I get peace? James. Well, thank you, Christopher and James for your very, very honest questions. And I'm sure it was very tough even sending those questions in. But I want to let you know straight off the bat that you are not alone. I hear from people all the time, all over Australia, all over the world, who feel the same way that you're describing. So you guys are not alone. But listen, listen, there is hope. There is help. So Let's start by looking at a passage in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. And you probably have read these passages before, but I want to start with looking at this text and setting it as sort of a foundation to my answer to both of you guys to your questions. The passage says this. 
It says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, James, Christopher, do you know what this passage means? It means we have all sinned. We've all come short. And we've come short of God's glory, which is, according to the book of Isaiah, it's his character. We were created for God's glory. The Bible is very clear on that. We were designed for a purpose, but none of us are fulfilling that purpose with sin in our lives because sin has made us fall short of that glory, that purpose. Now, you know what happens when you know you were meant to be doing something and you fail at it? We feel bad. We feel useless. We feel like failures. We feel depressed. We feel anxious. We feel, we feel, we feel. Now, what most of us do when we don't feel normal is we try and fix it. Now, both of you guys are describing that you sense and you feel that there is something wrong in your lives. You, 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 you feeling the guilt, the shame, the pain, the frustration of sin. And you want to fix it. Makes good sense. But the problem is, is that we can't fix it. Our feelings, these kinds of feelings, these feelings are designed to tell us that something are wrong. They're like little alarms that tell us that we need to go to the manufacturer for a service. It's kind of like your car, right? Like when there's something wrong with your car, a little light comes on the dashboard. And why is that light there? Well, that light there is to tell you that something's not right. Something is wrong and we need to return the car to the manufacturer for a service. Now, we can act on the warning or we can ignore the warning. We can even try and suppress the warning. We can find the wire that makes the light come on and cut it so the light goes out. But guess what? But the problem is still there. And if we don't fix it, it's going to cause more problems at some point. So, James, Christopher, the fact that you guys are feeling like this, it's actually a good thing. You see, remember Adam and Eve, when they sinned, the first thing the Bible tells us is that they feel guilt. That guilt was to be like a warning light, return to maker, return to maker, something's malfunctioning. But what did they do with the warning light? They ran and hid themselves. They tried to deal with their feelings. They they didn't like the way they felt, so they tried to suppress it. They tried to dismiss it. And if they lived today, they'd probably go take some meds for it or get some drugs for it or or try and do something to distract themselves, binge watch some Netflix or something. So the feeling that you guys are describing, which is sort of this shame, this guilt, this worry, this fear, all of this is good in a sense because these feelings are acting like those little lights on the dash telling you you need to return to the dealership, you need to return to the manufacturer for a service. But the question is, where is the solution? Where is the dealership? Well, let me let me share with you the story from the Greek New Testament manuscript called the book of Acts. Chapter 16, we find a story about Paul. Paul's in prison again because he's preaching about Jesus. And he's been placed under the guard of a prison officer. And in the middle of the night, there comes a great earthquake. It breaks down the prison walls. It loosens the chains of Paul. And the jailer comes in, sees the situation, pulls out his his sword or his knife or something, and he's about to do himself in because he figures better to do himself in than to be publicly humiliated and executed by the governor. Paul sees what's about to happen and says, hey, 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 stop. Don't do yourself in. We're all here. 
And so the prison officer falls to his knees and says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? Now, Paul turns around to him and gives him the simplest, absolute simplest study you could possibly give. He says this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your house will be saved. Well, he goes away from there and gets baptized. His family gets baptized and they become pillars in the Christian community. Now, why am I sharing this story in light of your question, Christopher, and your question, James, both of your questions indicate that you have an overwhelming sense of your need of a savior. Your warning lights are on, but the problem is, is that you're not seeing any effect. You're not seeing any change. The dealership's not seems to be doing any, any work on the situation. Well, what I want to do is I want to illustrate this. Number one, salvation is very, very simple. It's based on belief. But I'm going to give you four key ingredients that are going to help you experience a transformation in your life. Here they are. Number one, the first ingredient, believe it or not, is belief. And I want to give you this text. I shared this on an earlier question on this episode from John chapter 3, verse 16. What did the Bible say? It said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes... So the key ingredient for this transformation, this this um, this experience of a new life, is based on belief. That's the first thing. The second key ingredient is confess. In First John chapter one verse nine, it tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the third ingredient is to repent. In Acts chapter three verse nineteen, it says that we need to repent that our sins might be blotted out at the time of the refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And then our fourth key ingredient is to receive. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says that Jesus is at the door of our hearts knocking, and he's waiting for anybody who hears him knocking to open the door and receive him in so that Jesus can dwell with them. Now, these are the four key ingredients to experiencing a transformation in your life. And this is the starting point of the new life. I have a bunch of other questions around how to grow in your new life, but I'll cover that in a future episode as well. Okay, so let's start. James, Christopher, let's start with the basics. Do you believe that Jesus came to save you from your sins? John chapter 3, verse 16. Well, I'm assuming you're saying yes because you're both wanting to be followers of Jesus. Well, the belief that we have that Jesus is our Savior, that belief must have action. Because like the Apostle James, he said that faith, that's belief, without works, that's actions, it's dead. It means it's not real faith if there's no action. Our belief that Jesus is our Savior, it must lead to action. And the first fruit of this belief, the first fruit of this action is to confess. It's to confess our sinful nature. It's to confess our sins and it's specific sins. We need to confess them one by one to Jesus. And you know, this confession of confessing your sins to Jesus, first John chapter one, verse nine, this is more for the devil than it is for you or for Jesus. Jesus knows what you've done and he wants to forgive you. You know what you've done, and you want to be forgiven. But there's a devil in this story, and the devil is the father of sin. And it is your sin that binds you to him. And as you ask for forgiveness, as 
Jesus forgives each one of your sins, the devil loses his grip on you little by little. Remember, this whole sin thing, this whole salvation thing, it's really a legal battle. That's why there is a judgment. That's why there is a judge. That's why there is a lawyer. That's why there's a jury. And the court needs to hear our testimony. We need to be heard. And so that's why if we believe that Jesus can save us, that's step one. In step two, we need to confess our sin to him one by one. And not to a priest or not to a minister or a pastor. We go directly to Jesus, who the Bible calls our great high priest. Now, the rest of that verse in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, says that he is faithful to forgive us. And don't forget the next part. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, remember, step one, believe, right? Do you believe that when you confess your sin, is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Well, I'm assuming the answer is yes. Well, if it's yes, now it's time to act on your belief again. When you believe, the belief is evidenced by action. Now, this is step three. Step three is to repent, to turn around. Stop heading in the wrong direction you were going. Stop going the wrong way, turn around and repent and go the right way. But how can you do that? Well, you've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. And this brings us to step four. You need to receive Jesus into your life. Let him come in and dwell with you. You know, when you have visitors come over to your house, have you ever noticed that it impacts how you behave? It changes how you act. Do you find that you're a little bit cleaner when you have visitors over? Do you find that you're a little bit happier? You smile more, you're kinder? Well, think about this. If regular old human visitors who come into your house, have that kind of impact on your behavior. What do you think happens when the divine God comes not just to visit, but to dwell in your heart? The Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes in to live, as we walk in the Spirit, which basically means that he's living with us, Paul says that he brings love, he brings joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, guess what? If you have all of these characteristics, do you know what you don't have? You don't have hate. You don't have unkindness. You don't have sadness. You don't have war. You don't have impatience or rudeness or evilness or selfishness or unkindness. And these are all the things that sin breeds into our lives. And so these four ingredients, James and Christopher, if you bring belief, confession, repentance, and receiving into your life, I guarantee you that as you continue to experiment with your faith in your life, you're going to start to see reactions take place. And you know what's great about reactions? In the faith experiment, at least from my experience, Once a reaction starts in your life, it starts another reaction, which leads to another and to another. And soon, guess what you have? You have a chain reaction that leads all the way to a completely transformed life. Well, I really hope this helps you both with your questions. I know it's probably a good starting point, but it's an experiment. You have to put things into practice. You have to see how things play out. 
Now, as I mentioned top of the show, I have this great book to give away, Real Peace, Real Answers. This book is perfect to help you to find peace that lasts. I love this book. I have in my own library. I read it often. I have underlined so many pages in this book. You absolutely want to have this book. To get this book, you need to text today's code word in, which is hash FE33. That's the hash symbol followed by FE for Faith Experiment and the number 33 for episode 33, hash FE33. Text that to 04888845311 and the Faith FM giveaway bot will reply asking for your details. So text the code word hash FE33 to 04888845311 and I will get this gift to you as soon as possible. Well, that's all I have time for now. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Connect with us via text message on 04888 453 4331 That's 04888-45311. Or send an email to Robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.